Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Nothing else we do but one hymn. Amen. Love that song. That's a song that I oftentimes pray to. I got, I got, I got a, a playlist of different songs, and that's one of them. Amen. Because it's not just good lyrics, it's a good prayer. Amen. It's a good prayer. Hallelujah. My wife is going to hand out some papers here to you tonight. And basically, I just want you to write your name and your age on it. All right. Your name and age. If you need to ask your neighbor what your age is, that's okay. <laughs> you got to take off your, your uh, shoes in order to figure that one out. Uh, that'll work just fine. Amen. different things out there like this is a reality check for some people. And so I guess this, pardon me, yeah, I'd like to know, yeah, your name. If there's more than one Mariah, that's going to be important, you know, just going to write both names so that I don't have to have like any spirit of discernment whatsoever whenever I'm trying to. All this is for folks is like I made mention on Sunday uh, whenever we go back into connect groups uh, I was thinking about dividing it more of a uh, age group type of bracket thing so that's what it's basically for All right, I don't have to consult our system about it but I get it right from you alright so uh, that's just going to help me with that being said again uh, the split for Genesis and Connect kind of fell almost half and half, which again just tells me about people's different learning. I will tell you, I told Brother Malone before service, I had someone reach out from the state of Texas personally to my messenger and say, I don't go to your church, but I, if I had a vote, I would say continue with Genesis. I could show you after service. And so uh, they might start chiming in from other states. I don't know. Uh, but I know our elders have an opinion too, amen, with that. But uh, with that being said, we are, it'll probably still yet be maybe another week or two, all right, with, with Genesis before we would switch to connect groups. And if it ends up being two weeks, then the next week is candlelight. So it wouldn't really then be till the last Wednesday of this month. So it's all according to how it falls. It's all according to how the Lord helps me here I want to complete Genesis 3 as a stopping point because that's a good stopping point before we go in talking about Cain and Abel and, and that aspect of their families. And so that would be a good stopping point that where I don't feel like we'd have to reach far back and rehearse a lot starting again in the spring. All right. And so that kind of gives you an idea about where we are. Genesis chapter number 3. Glad to have Brother Malone and, and, and Brother and Sister McGee, that is Fred and and Sheila McGee, we can't hardly ever say that because there's just too many. So we usually use first names when it comes uh, to some last names. All right, Genesis chapter number 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. That's what I read, I think, the last time I taught. But we're going to read them again, all right, because we didn't by no means uh, get, through, get through them. So we'll look at this again. Amen. And uh, for anybody that wasn't here on Sunday morning, we started a new series this past Sunday called The, the Gift of Hope. And we are concentrating on Christmas uh, for the next five weeks, four now. But uh, nonetheless, that's something to look forward to. Amen as well on Sunday mornings. Hallelujah. Can you get my clock going for me up there, please? I appreciate it. Genesis 3, other people might appreciate it if it means anything. I don't know. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Yea, shall not eat, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves Aprons, And we're hopefully going to get further in verse number 7 this evening. Amen. But uh, as a heading for tonight's lesson, I want to call this Majesty Moving Amid the Mess. A lot of M's in there. Sorry about that. Majesty Moving Amid the Mess. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful, God, for an opportunity to be in your house. We're thankful, Lord, one more time, God, for the privilege of centering our lives around your word. God, perhaps something said can help us, Lord, in our individual lives and in our own journey. God, here below, God will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplished through this. Lord, perhaps in our very own lives, we'll give you the praise for the lovely name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Also, please do not forget that this coming Sunday will be the drawing of the $100 cash prize for the past three-month initiative of Go Fish. And so I'm going to be sharing with you also how many invites there was in those three months and uh, who was the most consistent inviter in those three months, who invited the most in any one particular week, just a few different things out there, uh, just kind of little factoids, amen, for fun, for fun. I, I thought it was fun, nonetheless. In our last lesson... Uh, which is two weeks ago, uh, we emphasized the importance of uh, the Word of God. Uh, and the reason we did that is because it was the very words of God uh, that he had spoken to Adam and perhaps to Eve somewhere along the way. We don't know uh, where Eve got her information concerning not touching the tree. Uh, a lot of people say she got it from Adam, but she could have just as easily got it from God too. And it, we don't know. We have no record. Uh, but nonetheless, we focused on knowing and reading uh, the Word of God since it was the words of God that were uh, attacked, that the serpent attacked and uh, implemented doubt and uh, misquoted and brought some question to Eve's mind. Uh, that's where we started. And so we understand that Eve was, again, in our Scripture setting here tonight, that Eve was not was not present whenever God told Adam the information about the trees. If you were to go back to chapter 2 and read whenever he spoke to Adam, uh, she was not yet uh, created or taken from his side, amen, and created at that moment in time when he received that information. And so she did receive this. We know some way uh, because she's having a, a pretty in intelligent I guess intelligent, at least she's having a conversation with the serpent about the subject matter of what God spoke to Adam concerning the trees of the garden. And again, I don't know where she got her information nonetheless, but it's evident that she knows about it since there is a conversation she is holding. And so when we look at verse number 3 of chapter number 3, and she is speaking back uh, to the serpent, his, his question him posing about that she, that they uh, may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, then she kind of rebuttals that in verse number 3, speaking that they can eat of the trees of the garden except for the one that is in the midst of the garden. And the day that we would, the day that we would eat of it or that we shouldn't eat of it, and she throws in this other phrase, neither shall ye touch it, lest lest ye die, lest ye die. And so when we read the phrase, neither shall ye touch it, uh, it's an expression that uh, can be looked at perhaps maybe a few different ways. 
she said that God said this, that God said that you can't eat it nor could you touch it, but uh, we don't see that's what he said unto Adam unless that's what he said to Eve uh, whenever he conveyed it to her, I don't know, or unless that's the way that Adam conveyed it to Eve, I don't know. So perhaps the thou shalt not touch it, that could very well be a misquoting a misquoting of Eve concerning God, uh, which a lot of people uh, align with, and through my lifetime I've heard that a lot. But then there's another aspect to it, and this is just as a pastor and as a person and understanding that there are things in life that we have that are uh, absolutely biblical doctrines that teach us, uh, and then there are uh, traditional church things that, that we do to kind of serve as a buffer. And then we have those personal convictions in our life that uh, we may not feel comfortable with personally. There's nothing necessarily biblically about it, but we know ourselves and what we might fall prey to. So we abstain maybe from certain things. For instance, a drunk uh, may not eat anything that has a bar in it just because of where his life has been. All right? And so with that being said, uh, there is the possibility perhaps that maybe this is something that was just so convicting for Adam and Eve personally that uh, it was something that they deemed in their life as an extra layer of protection. I'm just posing this. Uh, Adam and perhaps Eve just to put a little additional on top of uh, the, the not eating of the tree not touching the tree. Maybe it, maybe it could have been a personal conviction just of Adam and Eve's. Uh, again, we know what God spoke to Adam that he should not eat of it. In verse 17 of chapter number 2, nothing is said in that moment about touching it. But maybe this is something that Adam or maybe Eve or, or, or collectively or maybe the Lord spoke it whenever he spoke to the Eve. I don't know. But maybe there was maybe this restriction, if we would call it. Maybe it was self-imposed or Adam-imposed. Maybe they had a reasoning. This is totally maybe perhaps, okay? You understand the way that I'm saying this. Uh, perhaps they responded in such a way that, you know, since the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes like every other tree in the garden, uh, which we read of in Genesis 2 and 9. Every tree in the garden was pleasant to the eyes. Every tree in the garden was good for food. Uh, perhaps they thought, well, if we're going to abstain from eating the tree, we might be well off to abstain from touching the tree uh, because, you know, touching could lead to eating. And for that matter, if you're going to eat from the tree, you're going to have touched, right, the tree. Uh, consider the path even of the temptation of Eve in our scripture reading tonight. In verse number 6, right? She saw the tree. She desired the tree. She took the tree of the tree. She ate of the tree. And so if transgression, according to the word of the Lord, took place in the eating of the tree, then if there was a no-touching stage, that would have just been an extra layer of protection. That would just been another buffer layer uh, to prevent perhaps from eating of the tree. And someone might be saying right here tonight, well, Brother McGee, that's pretty radical. Well, you might view it like that. I kind of just view it as safe. Well, I mean, there's plenty of roads out there uh, that have like drop-offs where cliffs are that have guardrails. They don't have to have the guardrails there. You could just know well enough not to get that close to the shoulder of the road so you wouldn't go over. But the guardrail just is like another extra layer and buffer of protection. You might say, well, the road system is radical for having a guardrail up there. I just see it as, I just see it as safety. I just see it as safety. And so uh, we look at this, and so that's, that's a possibility of what may be, be here, a buffer, or maybe she just clearly, maybe that's not it at all. Maybe she just clearly misquoted God. But the big issue of verse number three, in my personal opinion, even isn't so much, neither shall you touch it, as much as it is the other phrase she has there, lest, lest ye die. Because in my opinion, lest ye die, and God's thou shalt, thou shalt surely die, are worlds apart. Lest ye die, and thou shalt surely die, are worlds apart. Because in one, lest ye die, 
is giving dying as a possibility. Thou shalt surely die is giving dying as an actuality. In one it's possible, and the other one is for sure. It's definite. And so uh, if the New Testament scripture, the Apostle Paul, if he's clear in his writing, I think he understood it well. He said, and we know this to be true, this is a verse that we hold dear uh, of Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is, I'm hearing out there, is death. And here's the fact of the matter. You may not get paid immediately, but payment is pending. Huh? Some of y'all even today, some people here, I don't know, everybody went your, your pay thing, but some schedule, some are probably weekly, maybe biweekly. There might be even some that are monthly. I don't know. But uh, payment is coming. Although your payment not come, when other people's payment comes, payment is pending. And so we, we may look at that a little bit more later uh, concerning Eve. But whenever we consider this, again, we look at this, and we'll look at this even a little bit more later. Adam, Adam was, how can we say it? He was with Eve. We might even say it a little bit more, if I can kick Adam in the shins. Adam was passively present with Eve. He was there. He evidently heard the conversation between her and the serpent. Not once do we hear him speak with any type of advice or I don't think we should be speaking to the serpent or that's not what God told me. None of that going on. He's just passively present. He doesn't even try to stop her from eating the fruit that he knows that they should not be eating of. And then the scripture even relays here that she ate of the fruit and she doesn't instantly die, right? Although I believe dying started the moment that Eve, just the same as, as we're under Adamic nature today, the moment you were born, you start to die. It's quite depressing, honestly, isn't it? I mean, the moment you take your first death, you are on the slippery slope toward death. From that moment forward. And so although Eve didn't immediately die, the process of dying started to take place in the body of Eve. And New Testament scripture even talks about how the sting of death is what? The Bible says the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. And so there's nothing that instantly happened to Eve as far as death. And so Adam, he's there the whole time. He's observed and heard the conversation. He sees she eat her eat the fruit and nothing happens. And I think maybe that could be a little reason why Adam went on and ate himself. She ate. It's like, you know, let's pause just for a moment. He must have really loved his wife. Let's pause for a moment and see what happens. Oh, nothing. I think I'll eat. It's good. It's all right. It brings to mind a scripture. We laugh about that, but we do it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8 and 11, this is from the complete Jewish Bible. They might have the King James up there. But nonetheless, the Bible says, because the punishment decreed for an evil act is not promptly carried out, therefore people who plan to do evil are strengthened in their intentions. Basically meaning when people see someone do something let's say that is just morally wrong and nothing happens to them seems to be no immediate consequence no immediate judgment you know what they start to feel you know what I might try something because nothing happened to them amen nothing uh, and I always think of this in particular I think of I think of uh, Aaron in the Old Testament I think how he was there you know, for the, the production of the golden calf, right? Uh, he, he, he's gathering all of the gold. Right? Puts it, and I lo always love what it says in Scripture whenever he's like stating his case with Moses. When Moses comes down upset, he's like, well, we just threw this goat in and out came this calf. Like, you know, like they didn't whittle on it. They didn't shape it or anything. They just kind of threw it in and it just happened, you know, type of thing. But there's like really no judgment we see against Aaron in that moment of time. 
And there's other things that happen. I, I can't remember them right now off the top of my mind. But there's a couple, oh, I think it's in the speaking against Moses thing, Miriam and him, and, and about his wife. And then Miriam struck with leprosy and see like, Aaron, he goes unscathed, you know, outside of just having to wait like the rest of the nation. Nothing's going on. Yet the Bible says in the moment of his death, the Lord speaks to Moses, says, I want you to take him up on top of the mountain, remove the priest's garments off of him, and when you do, he's going to die. What's happened? God's not missed anything. Although there was nothing that took place instantly at the golden calf for Aaron, or judgment didn't fall heavily whenever they spoke against Moses for Aaron, it all came about nonetheless on the mount, strip the garments, it's over. Nothing was missed. Nothing was missed. But viewing that, sister, she lies individual, viewing that, I'm sure there was probably some children of Israel thought, look at Aaron. He totally unscathed. I mean, he was, you know, we, we, we have who's on the Lord's side. Moses is saying that the golden cap, and they're going through and slaughtering people, right? The, the Levites, the tribe of Levite are, and we're on the Lord's side. Aaron's unscathed. We're probably thinking, well, man, he, he had a hand in fashioning that thing, although he said it just kind of came out. But he had a hand in fashioning this thing, and nothing came against him. I wonder how that emboldened them to maybe want to try something and to see what they could get by with. So I kind of see Adam here. He's not saying anything. He's being real passive. And he's a man with a real backbone, you know. <laughs> I guess he lost some of his bone when <laughs> he was made, you know. But, but here he is. Nothing is said. She eats. And then he eats as well. Uh, so I don't know if he was thinking in the back of his mind. Maybe this whole warning thing and what maybe this is all of a hoax. Maybe, 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 maybe not. But beyond concerning the serpent, beyond the serpent stern doubt in the mind of Eve. Note also in verse number four that the serpent didn't just bring in doubt and question, but blatantly contradicted the words of God by saying, You or ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not. Surely die. And that, that probably helped Eve out in her lest she died, the possibility. And it was more more certain than through the serpent that ye, ye shall not surely die because he's undergirding, if you will, more of the possibility and even the slight chance of that even happening. And so, uh, you know, when you deal with possibilities, there's a chance nothing may happen. And so the adversary's even taken away the certainty of it happening. He's, he's proposing really then that a person can transgress the words of God. They can be disobedient without, without any penalty for their sin. It's really what the enemy's proposing. He's proposing you can do what you want the way that you want to do it, when and how, without any conviction of what the Lord said, and there'll be no penalty. Just, if I'm saying today's verbiage, just live your life. Don't make no difference anyway. Just, just live your life. Hebrews chapter number 10. This has been the ploy of the enemy since the garden forward to try to cloud our minds and cause us to deny that there is a penalty. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 26, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. I want to read the 27th verse in the Amplified Classic, if you will. There is nothing left. So this, if you've sinned, you've sinned willfully with the knowledge of all of this, there's nothing left for us then uh, because the sacrifice, and, and I want to back up because there's, Many times in verse 26, there's been a misconception that if you sin willfully, there is no forgiveness for your sin because there's no sacrifice. Well, that's really a misconception. There is no sacrifice for your sin because at this point in time, the ultimate sacrifice is already happening. Calvary's already taken place. It was the sacrifice to take place once and it was good forever. And so there's not any sacrifice for your sin because there's not a blood of a goat or a bull that can be better than the sacrifice that happened at Calvary. 
And so there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins because there was one sacrifice to take care of all sacrifices. But if you do this and you practice this and you do not seek repentance, there's nothing less for us then but a kind of awful and fearful prospect and expectation. This is the Amplified, a divine judgment and the fury of burning wrath and indignation which will consume those who put themselves in opposition to God. What's that mean? There is a penalty. There is, there is a penalty if we don't keep under the umbrella of the Lord's forgiveness and of Calvary's hill. So that live however you want to without consequence, man, that's bogus. That's bogus. That's a lie. That's deception from, from the adversary. The, the words of the garden of you won't die is a lie. As a matter of fact, he kind of took things and really turned them topsy-turvy. He said, you won't die You'll be like God. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to process all this right now, right? So God says, don't do this. But hey, if you do it, you won't die. You'll be like God. Now that is some strange. If you want to talk about strange reasoning, that's strange reasoning. Do what God says don't do so you'll become like him. Right? Just, just remove the penalty of sin. And instead of a penalty of sin, we're going to reward it. Right? That seems contrary. Contrary. Amen. That's just crazy. And so we have then the idea in our real world sometimes that surfaces then is that we can run our affairs better than God. I can direct my life better than God. I know better than God. Someone say amen. But the fact of the matter is we just can't we just can't guide our lives by our feelings and just totally disconnect ourselves uh, from, from, you know, a spiritual moral compass in our life and determine right and wrong for ourselves and everything to be okay. Because of the fact of the matter is this, what are you determined right and wrong by? If there is no standard, if there is no standard, if there is no guide, if there is no law, if there is no rule, what is right and wrong? And so Satan poses it to Eve that you will not surely die. You will not surely die. Look at verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. You know what Satan's posing it as? Really what we have going on here, Eve, is that God is keeping something from you. God's keeping it. He doesn't want you in on this part. He's kind of withholding something from you. He knows that if you'll really do this, you'll, you'll be like or you'll be as God's. Now let's hold on for a moment. As God's, I think, is a, a, a weak translation. As God's is actually, and we've looked at this word several times in Genesis study, Elohim, all right? which can refer to gods or refer to God. God. Amen. What, what would that type of reasoning mean that you could be as gods, be to this first couple that's not even been exposed to such? You can be as gods. They were the first couple. We, 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 these these heathenistic, heathenistic practices and pagan and stuff hasn't even flourished yet. So what, what type of calling card would that mean to them? I believe it's a weak translation. I believe the, the translation should really be, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be like God. Capital G-O-D. They're familiar with God. Amen? Because talking to them about gods would just be nonsense, but talking to them about God would be logical. And if that is the case, consider, if you will, that Adam and Eve then in what they did may be influenced by the fact that she was under this deception that she and they could perhaps be like God. Now let's stop here for a moment. Remember a big theology on Lucifer and the fall and everything? You remember what his Achilles heel was? I'll arise above the mountains, I'll arise above the stars, I will be like God. He desired to be like God. And if they ate with the serpent's reasoning in the back of their minds, 
than they may have thought they would be, I'm going to twist on you here a minute, thought that they would be like God as well. For that matter, what did they have in mind when they ate? They were eating then quite selfishly. They were eating quite selfishly because they were thinking about self-benefit. For that matter, if they were thinking about being like him, and yet he's the one that said, don't eat of the tree, they're acting very selfishly. For that matter, they are putting themselves before God. And anything that comes before God is idolatry. Huh? We label idolatry Old Testament way. Oh, Nobody's making any god of stone or goat and bowing down and kissing it, so we're good. But there's idolatry in our age in a lot of different places. Prioritizing something before God. That which you prioritize before God, that's your idol. That's your idol. And so whenever we look then at Adam and Eve and even ourselves in today's age, and we place ourselves before God, and we undergird ourselves and prioritize ourselves and we cater to our own needs and our own desires instead of God or before God. We are practicing idolaters. Oh, Brother McGee, but if I don't take care of Paul, who's going to take care of Paul? Take no thought of what you will wear. Take, huh? Is that what he said? Take no thought over what you wear. Take no thought of what you eat. Did he not make the lilies of the valley? They neither toil nor spin. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like unto one of them. What's he saying? He's saying God take care of you. But put ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And so listen for a moment. The serpent then, he's cunning, he's subtle, he's crafty. Amen. Duke the first family into thinking, that God was keeping them from being like him when that has been his objective since they were created. Huh? Well, you say that, Brother McGee. Well, did not the first chapter say, created he male and female, created he them in the likeness and in the image of God? Right? But Satan is, is, is inputting into their minds a belief that they could be like God when they were in his likeness and in his image already. And so what he's really, what he's really successful at here then is by leading them down this slippery slope, he is successful at starting to obscure in their life, the very image that they were created in. God's image. See, Satan has something, a ploy for us. He wants us to believe that we're not as we are. We're not made in his image. We're not made in his likeness. So therefore, we must alter ourselves. But we've been created to reflect him. I understand because of the first transgression. I understand we're all born into sin. I get that. But we've been created to reflect him that the scales of the sin that we are born into, yes, it needs removed by through repentance and baptism, the infilling of his spirit because of the first transgression. Yes, that needs to be done in order to reveal and to promote that reflection that was first found in the garden. Absolutely. Amen. But Satan with this first couple who was already at that station of life, of being in the likeness and in the image of God, Amen. He was selling them a bill of goods, wanting them to try to become something they already were. Ephesians 4.13 says, till we all come in the unity, speaking of New Testament Christians, us today, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's not trying to keep us from being like him. Even after sin, that's what he's trying to get us to. 
to grow up into the measure of the stature of Christ. Verse 14, that henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men look and cunning craftiness. I just seem to think that Paul's almost referring all the way back to Genesis with cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, which is what the serpent did. Amen. Romans 8 speaks about how we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Again, God's not trying to keep us from being like him. He created us like that in the beginning. Transgression flawed it, and ever since then, he's been trying to get humanity and mankind back to a place of being like him. The devil is selling us a bill of goods. Adam and Eve had it before the fall, through our new birth experience. And our life lived for the Lord, we can strive to obtain that image again. Right? But Satan has the first couple second guessing who they were. So they acted in such a way then that then totally confused the image of God's state of their life. Look at verse number eight. Verse number eight of Genesis. So this is after after they did what they did and they sowed right. There's that other verse, verse number seven. Now they're naked, where before they were naked and not ashamed. Now they are naked, and it seems like they're ashamed. They knew they're naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made aprons. Look at verse number 8 here. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I command thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. In my, I, I, I got a few different Bible versions in my office. Of course, they're everywhere online. But I have a particular Bible in my office. It's a New English translation. It's a net Bible. And in its margin, it says this, that no one can become like God by disobeying God. No one can become like God by disobeying God. The old saying, I know uh, years ago, I think Brother Carpenter, you say this, he still teaches uh, search for truth. Brother Malone, like you too, you do, and always starts out in Genesis, and the, I remember him saying this one time, it just stuck in my head. He says, I remember him talking about Adam and Eve, and he says, it wasn't the apple from a tree, but the pear on the ground that got everybody in trouble. Ha, ha. <laughs> and we don't know if it was the apple anyway. They're just trees that's good for food. But the first two portions, look at it again. The first two portions of verse 6, again, are the way that God made every tree in the garden. Good for food and pleasant to the eyes. So, the allurement of Eve didn't just come from how the tree looked or that it had food. Because every tree looked pleasant and had food. Her allurement didn't come from that. It had to come then from this idea the serpent is introducing into the mind of Eve. Namely, she says that this is a tree to make one wise, if I could, even godlike. Even godlike. And so she saw, she desired, she took, she ate, she gave to her husband. Again, this shows that Adam was with her. When the serpent spoke to her, and for other verification of that, verses 1 through 5, where the serpent is called, talking to Eve and saying ye, which is good old King James language for you, that word you is in the plural each time he's speaking. He's not just speaking to Eve. He's speaking to them. He's speaking to them. Although he was speaking to Eve directly, he was addressing all of them that were there, including Adam. And Adam said nothing. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why the New Testament says that Adam was not deceived in the transgression. It says Eve was, but Adam was not deceived. 
And so the serpent, we look at this, he rightly told them this when we look at verse 7, the eyes of them both were open. He rightly told them, your eyes shall be open. That was true, right? But maybe not in the way that they had hoped. Their eyes were open and they were naked and they noticed it. In chapter 225, naked and not ashamed. But now there is a knowledge and awareness of their nakedness to the degree what? They attempt to cover it. Huh? They, make, they sew fig leaves together and they attempt to cover themselves with fig leaf aprons, as they are called. They're aprons in Scripture. And so look at this. From this point backward, God has made everything that Adam and Eve required. He's taken care of them. He's made everything that Adam and Eve required. This is the first time we have where they've made something for themselves. And they made what they made for themselves, no doubt, is to try to ease shame and guilt that they were feeling from the awareness that was a result of their transgression. And we know through the rest of this chapter, that it was a vain attempt. They hid themselves in fig aprons, and then the Bible says when they heard the voice of the Lord or uh, the sound of the Lord, as some of the other translations, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, to the cool of the day through the garden, they, they've hid themselves in fig aprons seemingly from one another. Then they hide themselves among the trees whenever they hear the voice of the Lord. And I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence tonight. Someone's saying, Brother McGee, we know chapter 3 of Genesis very well. And so I hope, I hope that you're not like bored out of your gourd. But uh, nonetheless, they hide among the trees. And this is just me, again, just totally me, McGee, thinking through my head here. If I, if I, had, if I had taken of a tree, all right, because I don't know, it doesn't say what trees. It doesn't say it was the good and knowledge of good and evil tree and the tree of life. We don't know which trees it was that they hid among. But I'm just thinking here for McGee. If I had taken from a tree I wasn't supposed to take from, that's probably not the tree I'm going to try to hide behind. I'm just saying. All right. This is purely my opinion, okay? I believe they hid among the trees that were permissible to them. Because I know real life today how often we try to hide behind permissible practices to mask the severity of our real condition. We'll dress it up. We'll go through the calisthenics of, of Pentecost and worship because we're hiding phobials behind the permissible. Well, glory, I could be wrong. And so sometimes, note though, they're hiding from the Lord. And sometimes our engagement or disengagement from the Lord and his presence might reveal a lot about the action that we did, whether or not it was proper or improper. Because... From my experience, people that are walking in alignment and in tandem with God uh, are not trying to ignore God. Not trying to sidestep God. As, as the aspect of being a real child growing up, if I did something wrong, my human nature wasn't like, hey, Bob, look what I did. No. You try to keep that on the down. As a matter of fact, and just because I knew I did it, I tried to avoid the parental interaction of any kind. Why? Because I had a conscience that was guilty. And so many people find themselves estranged from God, cold on God, indifferent toward God, when there's already something happening that they think nobody knows, but they know. And they got to know God knows. Huh? And so, so we have this thing that starts happening that we know sin to be. Sin is a separator. Sin is a separator. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2, these are verses I oftentimes resort to 
with the fact that sin is a separator, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. So we understand God, God can reach, God can hear. This is absolute. It says in verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Listen, I'm talking about, talking about sin and to state it probably the, 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 the clearest and the most proper is that sin separates us from fellowship with the presence of God. Because we know from Psalms 139, if I make my bed in heaven or hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall guide me. Right? Like we can't escape the presence of God. Sin can't separate us from his presence, but it separates us from fellowship with his presence. For that matter, sin cannot separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, what shall separate me from the love of God? Shall principal, I mean, should life or death? Huh? Right, and it goes through all the lists. Sin even won't separate. Whenever you sin, he still loves you. But sin will separate you from fellowship with the presence of God. Sins are separated. And so what we have here is Adam and Eve that's transgressed. God's presence was there. I believe God's love, even as we see, even demonstrated throughout the rest of this chapter, was there. But sin had caused a couple broken in relationship with that presence of God. And that is the way sin operates. Because when we get to chapter number four, which will be in the spring, Cain, what does he do? He gets up and departs from the presence of the Lord to the land of Nob. He's killed his brother, Abel, separator. Jonah, going to Tarshish. See y'all later. He's going, to, he's going to the some spot in Spain, which is the furthest that they knew of the known world that he could get from where he was supposed to be, separating from God's presence, so he thought. Pause here for a moment. I'm keeping an eye. We're still green. Green means go. <laughs> Red means think about it. We don't. Yellow is the time in the middle. It's not like I don't have a yellow. The same thing that Adam and Eve would hide behind trees is the last thing, or rather the last, the last Adam would die on. What they took their sin and tried to hide behind, Christ took that sin. <laughs> Exposed and judged by hanging it on a tree. And note, and you see this resurface in verse number 8. Conversation between the serpent and Eve. He's saying, God, God. He has Eve even. We talked about this two weeks ago. Referring to God, creator, you know. Because trying to pull her out of covenant. And Satan will never be in covenant. So we kind of leave off the Lord God. It's just God. But appearing back in verse number 8 now again. When the Lord's coming down and walking in the cool of the day. We're going back to the Lord God. Resurfaces. Because their creator is seeking them out as the redeemer now. They've fallen. And so we look at all this. God, whenever he comes to speak to Adam and Eve, fig leaves, trees, <laughs> double coverage, <laughs> still not enough. <laughs> God did not address Adam and Eve, but Adam only. It's interesting to me, because the serpent spoke to Eve directly, but whenever God comes, he talks to Adam directly first. Personally, I believe that shows a little bit. And whenever I say hierarchy, I'm just talking about headship, like 1 Corinthians 13 or 11 speaks of. Headship. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman type of scenario. So going to 
make the leader of this household answerable for what is happening here. So he comes. I hope those kids are all right. There's not something going on. We might need to have a word of prayer for Zach and Malin. <laughs> Zach's not here? Oh, Zach and Jen. Okay. So there's Adam only. God says, where, Adam, where art thou? How many thinks God really needs to ask that question? It's unanimously. No one. <laughs> right? Where, God didn't need to answer about Adam's whereabouts. He's God. God. God don't have to have an answer about your whereabouts. You don't have to justify or excuse where you've been or what you've done. I know you might try to do it with me, but and the fact of the matter is, heaven's listening to. So you don't have to really do that because he's, he's God. But what God is doing when he's saying, where art thou? Where art thou? Adam, where art thou? He's really pushing Adam into a place of self-evaluation. Where are you, Adam? Hmm, where am I? That's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while on this journey. Where, where am I? Really, where am I? Am I cold? Am I indifferent? Am I on fire? Am I vehement for the Lord? Where, where, where am I? And so we're causing Adam here to ponder and to be honest where he was and perhaps even what he was doing. But the marvel of it all is this, what we should be uh, enamored by is that even in a sinful state, everybody say a sinful state, even in a sinful state, God is calling to Adam. God, as my title, is the majesty moving amid the mess. He's, he's calling for Adam even in a sinful state. And not only that, what did Adam and Eve hear? They heard the voice of, they heard the Lord. You know what tells me? Sinners can still hear the voice of God. Hmm? People, people that have stepped, not in step with God, but out of step of God can still hear the voice of God. And verse 10 tells us at the core the reason for Adam's actions to the voice of God. The Bible says, he says, Lord, I was afraid. Everybody say afraid. I was afraid. The first mention of fear in the Bible, the first mention of fear in the Bible is associated with a humanity that's in a fallen state. First mention. Why? I think this gives us even greater credence for New Testament Scripture when he tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. No, it finds its origin in a fallen state. And now, due to his nakedness, there's some shame, there's some guilt. Adam and Eve both may be thinking that they can't stand before God with this shame. And shame's M.O. then and now. You ask the psychologist and the psychiatrist, they call shame the hiding emotion. Because that's what shame does. It causes one want to turn inward, want to hide, right? Sin places us in a self-focused state. What are they going to think about me? Where are they going to think about what I have done? Right? But here's the problem with shame. Shame puts us in a place that we're more concerned with how we feel than what we've done. Huh. So we have Adam and Eve maybe resting a little bit with how they feel, but there really needs to be some concentration on the sin because even after the conversation with Adam and Eve, nobody's, nobody's really repenting. Nobody's really groveling over what took place. Amen. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 11 one more time. So he comes in verse number 10 and he's talking to Adam. Adam's saying, I was afraid, you know. I was afraid. That's what the deal was. Because I'm naked, I hid myself, telling him to hold. And God then comes back with some questions. And he said, who told thee thou wast naked? Has, and he, maybe a little pause, I don't know how long. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? What are you doing, God? 
God's, God's doing this through his questions. He's linking Adam's shame to Adam's disobedience. He's, and listen, whenever you lose the feeling of shame over disobedience, when disobedience is no longer shameful to you, Jeremiah spoke of a time when they, they couldn't even blush. And they do whatever they want. There was no embarrassment. They could do whatever they want. There was no blushing. Dangerous state. New Testament scripture talks about how he would turn people over to a reprobate mind. No feeling. Past feeling. No conviction. No conviction. Do whatever. It's a, no blushing. No shame or guilt over disobedience. That is a dangerous place. That you, listen, one of the dangers of leprosy, right? Leprosy is kind of a type of sin in the Old Testament. The danger of leprosy is that it damaged, it damaged your ability to feel. It damaged your nerves. That's the reason why people lost ears and noses. They would get infection in those parts and extremities of their body. They couldn't feel any pain. They couldn't feel like any danger. And so they went on with their life. Before you know it, they got, you know, only two digits on a hand instead of five, you know, because they couldn't feel. So it was more of a blessing to be able to feel than to not feel because if you don't feel, you could be losing something you don't even realize when you're past feeling. So it's a dangerous thing to get to a place that there's no shame for the disobedience. So God is tying me saying, the shame that you feel is linked to your disobedience, Adam. And even the questions that God does ask Adam in, in, in there, uh, he doesn't answer the questions there in verse number 11. Adam doesn't give no answer. He deflects. Man, he is like a modern human. Be asked a, a direct question and deflect. Don't answer, don't even say, well, that was a good question, and then deflect. He just deflected. Totally. Paul F. Taylor said it like this. He said, there are only two people in the whole world that Adam still wants to blame someone else. Only two. <laughs> Amen. And so, I mean, here's Adam now. Think about it. Just last chapter was the whole speech from God. The animals have come. There was no suitable mate, and God's like, fella, it's not good that man should be alone. And Adam is like now at the stage, God, I'll tell you what the dealio is. The woman that you gave me. Huh? The woman you gave her to me, that woman, she, she convinced me. You know, God, I didn't have, I, you never heard me say anything about the aloneness problem. I never said, God, I'm alone. You kind of took it on yourself, you know, and said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. And then you gave me this woman, and this woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree that you said not to eat. And he finishes up the sentence with, and I did eat. Adam's passing the buck from himself to Eve, but he's also trying to, Get God in on the buck. It's your fault. How many times have we blamed God over something that's really ours to own? Pass the buck. God, this is the woman that you gave me. Listen, I can give you a lot of things. But you still have a choice. Adam did as well. You still have a choice. I don't have any army. I can give you a pack of cigarettes right now. But you still have a choice. They're not in my truck either. I don't have any, quite frankly. You still have a choice whether to partake of them or not to partake of them. So Adam blames really God for this predicament to a certain degree. You gave me the woman. She gave me the fruit. It almost just seems the way it should be. Psychiatrist Dr. Abraham Tversky puts it, said human beings need four things, air, food, drink, and someone else to blame. Verse 13, Eve shouts out, and I'm, I'm going to be closing soon. Stand with me, you'll help me. So he like goes to Eve now, right? Because we're kind of passing the plate. She says, the serpent beguiled me. True. Serpent cheated her, outwitted her, deceived her. The serpent be beguiled me, but she also ends her sentence with, 
I did eat. I did eat. <laughs> She's passing the buck from herself to the serpent. But she has kind of the, you know, the little confession on the end. Don't want to spend too much time there. I did eat. So whether it's been given to you or you've been beguiled, you still have a choice whether or not to eat. I close with this setting of verses tonight because who's to blame? Who's to blame in your life? Who's to blame where you are right now? Who's to blame? The Bible says, James 1, blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted. Oh, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. Now we got somebody to point the finger at. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So temptation of it in its own is not sin. The conversation that happened between the serpent and Eve, nothing. If God said don't touch it, she would descend to that mode if that's when that happened or if it was just extra protection for themselves or even holding the fruit wasn't sin. But it's a slippery slope. Sin was the moment that she ate. So you've got to ask yourself, how many opportunities before sinning did I have to eject and say, we're out of here. This ain't happening on my watch. I'm not giving in. For that matter, understand that there can be things posed to you, but it will be you being drawn away by your own lust might be no big deal to one person for something to be given to them. No big deal. It's because they don't have a desire for whatever that is. But you let the right bait be put in the right place. And there's a desire that you have that's insatiable and that's raging. That you could fall prey to and you're drawn away. See, you could sit before me liver and onions and I'm going to be like, who cares right because I don't have a desire I got liver right here and I don't need another one all right and so I don't desire that big deal but whenever there's something that is innate in me that I have a desire for that's my trip up zone brother Malone didn't make me do it well brother Malone you know took me by such and such and uh, you know, I, I fell into sin. No one falls into sin. We call it, typically in Scripture, the fall. Let me tell you, it was more like the walk. Huh? We're drawn. We're drawn. And so you got to know you. You got to know you. You got to know your limits. You got to know your boundaries. And that's the reason why I even said earlier, sometimes your boundaries are going to be a little bit more severe even than what Scripture has because you got to know you. Well, we'll look at this some more next week. Might be last, might not. I don't know. You know how many times I've sat down and thought, we're getting through the rest of this. And three weeks later, we got through it. So that's the reason why I'm giving myself a buffer. All right. Help us, Holy Ghost. Let's bow our heads in this place. God, I thank you tonight, Lord, for your goodness. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight for your word. God, these, Lord, events of Scripture are things, Lord, that I can relate to, Lord, in my own life, in my own humanity. God, this is not something far-fetched, Lord, or, Lord, greatly removed from my own mind or my own sphere of what could happen, Lord. It's real to me. 
God, and it's given me, Lord Jesus, God, a, a, a view, a perspective, God, of what can take place, how we can combat it. God, the, the ploys and the, Lord Jesus, shenanigans, the Lord of the adversary, God, his constant voice of deceiving, deception, and cunningness. But at the same time, I had the realization of a God, Lord, that even in the midst of all that and after all that, that is still seeking me out, still seeking me out, trying to bridge that relationship gap that has occurred because of something the Lord offhanded God that I may have done I thank you Lord God for the second chance for another chance I thank you Lord God that you came looking for me I pray oh Lord today God as we go our separate ways help us to walk in the power of your spirit help us oh God to set up guardrails and things in our life that we need God that will help us Lord Jesus with the, the, the lust God that would entice us Lord and pull us in directions we do not need to go help us to always have an ear Lord that's attuned God to the word of God and know that it is true and God's not trying to keep anything from me but he's trying to create in me amen a heart that's after him that's patterned after him and that's chasing after him God we thank you and we love you Lord for this time together in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen amen and amen there is a sign up sheet back there for the adult Christmas dinner it's going to be a carry-in amen and so that requires people carrying stuff in to eat amen so sign up your name to help us in that endeavor and we appreciate it hallelujah brother malone are you friday yeah okay friday bible study back open on friday room three brother malone if you're a part of that i'm not asking if he is i'm just saying if you're a part of the group and brother malone does uh, but nonetheless amen back here on sunday continuing with our easter easter a christmas series Woo, we just warped real quick, time warp. Amen, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.